0: Welcome to another episode of Chalk Talk. This time, we have a somewhat different setup. We asked two colleagues and friends, Drs. Flavia Rubacchini from Verona and Emmanuel Roboto from Rome, to share their views on the calcium landscape. We asked them to comment on the need for a consensus of treatment algorithms and strategies and the adoption of new technologies for calcium diagnosis and treatment, as well as initiatives for education and calcium management. Their conversation will highlight the latest clinical consensus statement out of Europe entitled, Management Strategies for Heavily Calcified Coronary Stenoses from EAPCI in collaboration with the Euro4C Group. Gentlemen, please take it away.
1: Hello, uh, I am Flavio Ribikini and it's my pleasure to be here with Professor Emanuele Barbato uh, to discuss, to comment, friendly on, uh, on a specific topic which is of key importance in our coronary intervention field. Indeed, the calcified coronary artery disease has always been a very challenging setting for interventionalists and for patients. And uh, we should go a little bit back on time to start at the first attempt to create a kind of consensus or a document on how to deal with this issue. Despite the lack of strong scientific evidence-based data, because it has always been relied on the personal experience, on dedicated centers, on some specific device that have been on the shelf for years, but there are no actually guidelines on how to treat that. That being said, uh, Emanuele had the uh, say the role of coordinating the first attempt of a European document on how to deal with coronary calcify, calcified lesions. Emanuele, can, can you tell us about how this story began? Sure. Uh, actually, you are bringing my memory
2: back uh, in 2013, 2014. At the time, uh, people might recall we only used in the cat lab when we were dealing with calcified lesions. When we really needed uh, a specific device with rotational trajectory, that was all what we had available at the time. And I recall uh, we had the Eurota Club. Uh, George Gold from Austria was the chair of the Eurota Club. Uh, and at the time when I attended the first meetings of, these, uh, of this club, um, it was uh, all the discussion about, according to my experience, according to my case series, there was not a single way to perform rotational telectomy. There was not a standardized protocol at all at that time. And, and you perceived that we really needed some um, standardization or at least uniformity in the way we were handling the device and the indication to use the device if we wanted to raise enthusiasm and have to use a contemporary language, some followers in treating these kind of uh, challenging patients. And I can tell you it was it was not easy at all at that time, because I recall discussion, and you were there, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, just to find out uh, uh, one speed to use rotational technique. only this single point took us more than an hour of discussion. And in the end, we concluded there was no way to find an agreement and we had to agree on a range of speed to do rotational telectony. But it was clear at that time that we needed something more, something more than uh, speaking of one device, something more than speaking within a closed club. Uh, and that's why we, um, we had the idea. I, I clearly recall that it was an idea from both of us that we needed to put the patient at the center and to discuss about the management of the calcified lesions, and a, a vision that later on in the years came as the right one, if we consider nowadays the wealth of device and treatment strategies that we have available. And I know that you had some role and responsibilities there to make this transition. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give us you know, what were the insights of the foundation of the Euro4C club?
1: Well, uh, as you well uh, uh, remember, all this, uh, work, which was very important at that time was based on one device and some additional devices because cutting balloon was already available and some scoring balloons, but the real efficacy of dealing with very nasty cases was relying on the use of rot ablation. But as we noticed, this was limited to a very close circle of people because the penetration of the technology at that time was very low. And we have to say that it is still very low, because it is a device with extraordinary efficacy and, uh, but, but has not been diffusely adopted by the community of intervention. So that created the idea of opening this closed cycle or club of operators first to younger people, because we need to train young people to become good operators. Then we saw the perspective of new technologies on the horizon, and that was after you published this first consensus document in 2015, if I don't go wrong, in Euro and we immediately started working with this colleague to transform what was, as you well defined, a group of experts dedicated to the details on how to do a technique, putting the patient on the center of the attention around a number of possibilities and clinical indications to make the change and that was the idea we had together of moving this group into the i would say the knowledge and the network of EuroPCR EuroPCR is our main course it's a is, is the root of all the European networks of our community in association with the European Association of Percutaneous Cardiac Intervention (EAPCI), so we moved this small group into the big universe of uh, of uh, EuroPCR. The group got a dedicated area in EuroPCR or PCR Online where we can share cases, we can discuss, we address uh, our concerns. And I have to say that the website is very popular among young practitioners who are learning from the expert that shared their experience. And of course, technology came immediately after with the new players that we will soon discuss and gave us the opportunity to reconsider reviewing the evidence. These are not guidelines. These are consensus documents based on the experience of the expert and the available evidence coming from registries or, or, or small standards. So this goes back to you, Emanuele, you had this uh, merit of uh, proposing a more structured, a more global, a more inclusive elaboration of a document, which I I repeat, without being an official European guideline, is a European network with some colleagues also from the US working on the patient with calcified atherosclerosis. So tell us, was it easy to put these people together? Is there a methodology that you want to underline?
2: Well, actually, it was not easy. Um, that's, uh, that's the first um, uh, consideration I want to make. Uh, why it was not easy? Because we used to work as solo players at the time uh, without really uh, sharing what was knowledge and experience. That was the first challenge, Try to uh, make people understanding that we could uh, uh, be the best operator ever on, on Earth, but without the ability to transfer this experience and this knowledge to other colleagues, then the treatment strategies would never really penetrate in our clinical practice. This was the first challenge. Then the second challenge comes from the fact that these are kind of patients extremely difficult to include in randomized clinical trials. And even when you include them in randomized clinical trials, very often they uh, tend to cross over to the alternative treatment strategy for a number of reasons. The first one being the fact that these are patients extremely difficult to treat according to the initial intended strategy. And this brings me to the next point, uh, the one you were alluding to about the methodology. Of course, when it is difficult to gather uh, quality data with randomized clinical trial, then the next step is to uh, gather consensus. So if you cannot get randomized clinical trial, then at least try your best to get honest consensus among the best experts worldwide uh, on a certain treatment strategy. If we would write today guidelines, this kind of recommendation would all receive a class C, Mm -hmm. right? And these are the typical identification of those recommendations having a class one level of evidence C, meaning that there is no hard data supporting. But among experts, this is felt as the most reasonable strategy uh, to adopt. And that's why we came to a consensus document. Where can you put these uh, recommendations by consensus in a consensus document. That seemed to be uh, obvious, uh, which is the closest thing we can get to guidelines nowadays. Uh, Because because they they supply to an unmet need that is not deriving from our lack of uh, will and and motivation to produce data, it really comes from the fact that it's extremely challenging to gather uh, these patients a randomized clinical trial. But I think I think uh, we we warmed up well the uh, background. We are ready to move into the document flag. Okay. Uh, why do I say this? Because we made the best effort not only to gather consensus there, make reasonable indication recommendation, but also providing practical guidance through algorithm. Why don't you give us?
1: Well, that, that that that's that is the main uh, purpose of the document. So the, the document is high quality. It has been published in the European Heart Journal, which is the most important cardiovascular journal of Europe and among those in, in all the world. A, we have to say that the review process was very tough. It took nearly one year to get a paper in the final version of the paper accepted. So we have to go through many times our own concepts that have been reviewed by the advices, very useful advices of the external reviewers. Uh, but we came out with a practical document. Uh, why is that? Because the calcified patient has a very bad prognosis. The ideal treatment could be surgery in those patients with diffuse, calcified three vessel disease, but surgery is a, it's, it's, it's a high burden for the patient. Most of these patients are aged, so are not ideal candidates for open chest operations. And the methods and the technologies of uh, intervention has been very, very, very um, effective lately. There is practically no more re with new generation stents. There are dedicated stents for proximal lesions or very large vessels. And we have dedicated issues to deal with the calcium. And another point, which is very important, we can finally observe from the inner part of the vessel, which is the effectiveness of, of what we do. And with is the final result. So putting this together, we came to advices to our operators how to perform the procedure according to the technology available they have. And not everybody have the same technology. Some people use, have access to coronary CT, which is a very nice technology, but it's not widespread in some countries. Other people have access to intravascular imaging, either IVUS and OCT, and there are differences in terms of cost, in in terms of learning curve, and in terms of the information you get. Other people don't have anything, but they have patients, and you need to treat them. And patients can be in India, can be in Canada, in Chile, or in Egypt, and the technologies are different. So we try to give a little bit of uh, an harmony on how to deal with that
2: actually in the in the consensus document we gave different algorithms and we identified almost a place for each and every device we have available nowadays can you guide us through yeah. when to use what what is the best indication for device and so on
1: this is likely the most popular content of the document because it gives practical advices on on how to deal with a specific lesions so in each single algorithm the first line says if you see calcium in fluoroscopy don't try direct stenting. it should sound a little bit too obvious but it is not because we have seen several times a colleague struggling to push a stent or pushing extend which then is not expanded. so that, that's the first point the fluoroscopy will tell you unless you work in a, in 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 a setting where you can have a previous ct scan that will give you a lot of information and it's very helpful but for instance In my own hospital, it's very difficult to have CT for coronaries because the radiology department is very busy and we prioritize other indications. But it's very useful and there is a dedicated algorithm. CT can tell you the amount of calcium, how tight the stenosis is, how extensive the disease can be. It can give you also information on the aortic roots, on the vascular axis. So if you can do that, it is recommended that you take this information. But most of people around the world don't have that and they don't even have intravascular imaging. So there is a dedicated algorithm saying, OK, you see calcium, you will try to cross with your wire and then you will try to cross with your small balloon. If the lesion is uncrossable, the algorithm will tell you don't delay, don't try, don't try with the stent, use a rotational device. And this is a very important first recommendation. If the balloon crosses but does not expand, then again, you will need specific devices. Specific devices can be very high-pressure balloon, can be rotational devices, or can also be balloon-based technology like shockwave, which are very effective. And according to the feeling that the expert have, it's less risky than going with very high-pressure balloons. So, after you have been able to implant a balloon, the algorithm will guide you based on the different incidences of your balloon, how well it expanded or remains constrained to go through balloon-based, rotational or high pressure. This is without using intravascular imaging, so if available, you can do some angiographically-based software that will make you see the contour of the stent to get more or less confident with uh, with the good expansion of the device. In case you have intravascular imaging, there is no doubt that all the experts recommend the use of intravascular imaging. Intravascular imaging will provide much better identification of the extension, the distribution, the depth of the calcium, and this will give clear indications for the selection of the device. Very tight leashes, very diffuse, difficult to cross, will likely need the use of rotational devices. Deep calcium, nodular calcium, big vessel, proximal vessel will benefit most from a much much easier way of using devices like is the balloon-based technology offered by intravascular lithotripsy. And then you go the assessment of the effectiveness of your first choice. You you look for calcium cracks and expansion of the MLD. You exclude nasty dissection so you stay in a safe field of the intervention. You go with the stent, and then you verify the final result, making sure that this, the stent is well-opposed, is as short as possible, as large as possible, and it, uh, there are no mechanical issues with the stent. And this you can only tell with the use of intravascular imaging. Might be we'll, we, we can discuss whether OCT or IVUS is better or are they are equivalent. Of course, it, it, there is no need to use the two of them in the same patient, but these three algorithms, which I say are I, I getting very popular in, in the meetings and people are very excited on using them and testing them, I think it's going to, I don't say equalize, but at least give um, a common way of uh, approaching the cases, which we hope will translate in a better clinical result. You were
2: alluding to the role of um, imaging, mm-hmm. which is um, what I would say to to. Uh, to to borrow one of your expression, experience equalizer, in a way. Um, thanks to the systematic structured implementation of intravascular imaging, you can bring the experience of a beginner almost to a level of an advanced operator because you know exactly uh, how to perform the procedure, how to control your procedure, but heavily calcified lesions are a specific setting. And no matter how much experienced you are if you have intravascular imaging available that gives you always that little plus that makes you better tailoring your procedure to the given setting we learned the difference between uh, deep calcification superficial calcification calcified nodule one of the worst enemy we have nowadays even with the best uh, uh, plaque modification tool um, available even among the calcified nodules now we are reflecting on different types of calcified nodules, compressible, uncompressible, superficial, deep. And these are kind of information that you can only gather with intravascular imaging. This is why if you have it, and I fully agree with you, use it because that can give you that little plus, but if you don't, you can still do a good job, a decent job, thanks to the excellent plaque modification tools that we have available nowadays. But this brings us to the next uh, step, Fabio, which is training and education. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we can uh, write uh, tens of consensus documents, but if we are uh, unsuccessful to bring the messages to the target uh, audience, to the target uh, people we want to reach, then we're not doing a good job. What are the initiatives that Euro4C, uh, also thanks to this consensus document, is pushing
1: forward? Wow. That's probably, for the future perspective, the most important part. I think that training in this setting has to be focused on two different uh, aspects. The first is the one you already mentioned, which is learning the interpretation of intravascular image. You said something very important. Even less expert operators can get to a higher level of performance if they use intravascular imaging. But... They have to learn. They have to learn how to interpret what they see on the eyeballs, what they see on the OCT. It's not just putting the catheter and doing the manual pullback and saying there is calcium. What you said, the definition of spikes, calcium, eruptive, non-eruptive, the depth, the final result. So training and teaching on intravascular imaging is a basic component of the treatment of not only calcified lesions, everything but in the specific setting of calcium plays a main role and the second one is the use of the technologies we have said we have been using rotational atherectomy for 30 years and despite the incredible efficacy of the methodology is not widespread most of colleagues especially young colleagues are still afraid of using a device that makes a nasty noise that requires difficult to handle unfriendly wire And there is this concept that it may cause perforation. Actually, I think it's much safer than using very high pressure balloons. But this device has limitations posed by the learning curve. There are other technologies, like the shock wave. They don't have learning curve. It's just putting a balloon. Of course, you need to prepare the vessel and to assess the efficacy of of, of the treatment. And this is why you still need training to use any kind of dedicated device. And why is that very important? Because it's not structural interventions. You can have the super expert on treating mitral, and tricuspid or aortic, then they will do the cases on Wednesdays and Fridays. Coronaries are happening anytime, anywhere, and you will have patients brought by the emergency team and you will have a calcified lesion and a young operator and you have to perform an acute coronary syndrome. So this guy who is on call should be able to deal with that. And you know that there is a difference in the, in the thought. Some experts say that, no, this is a case I will do because I have experience. The two of us, we are convinced that young people should be trained to perform the case anytime because calcified lesions will be daily work. And we have all what we need to do a good job. So training. Young operator, or not even so young, but people without experience in learning how to do the device, is key in the interest of our patients. We have done a quite long journey together on this field, but the question is, uh, I don't know where we have arrived. Now we have uh, now we have new technologies, new perspective. What is, on your opinion, you have always had this vision on where to go for the next year?
2: Uh, yeah, perhaps this is the most difficult. Term question because we need to really think out of the box and imagine the future in this very moment Uh, let's say the first thing we need to do is never forget the past never uh, forget where we do come from and actually i like very much your um statement in the very beginning the first recommendation we give in the consensus document don't perform direct standing which is really going to the basics and i think uh, one of the challenges we might have in the future is that people will tend to forget the basis. And then we need to keep remembering the people that plaque modification and lesion preparation is the first step. This is the first thing to, to, to be done. Next, we need to recall that sometimes the past comes back. Nowadays, discussing about drug loading balloon has become a hype. Perhaps we need to imagine ourselves what might be new treatment strategies in the context of patients with heavily calcified lesions without mechanical or metallic scaffolding. Mm-hmm. So how to do this? We still have to learn. Is there a place? I don't know. We have to work on this. We, we might already start thinking to the next consensus document in this in this direction. Next uh, uh, thing to do, uh, in my opinion, is to move a step forward. The group, Euro4C, together with EAPCR, PCR, We need to be better in training and education at each and every country Uh, so far we have worked in a centralized fashion trying to teach and train people in paris during euro4c in Wrocław at the occasion of the annual meeting together with our friends from poland Uh, so perhaps we need to push forward the model that you imagined actually i remember the first meetings of the euro4c club we need to create national champions and teams that are working to actively transfer this knowledge and experience to each and every one. This is certainly a gap that we need to work all together. And last but not least, we need to leave, uh, or or let's say, share the legacy of this work to the next gen. Mm -hmm. We need to work to find new Euro 4C champions, new uh, EAPCI presidents. I think this is our responsibility to just hand over to future generation the good things or the bad things, I don't know, they will judge us. We, we just build together. And I think now it's your turn to wrap up and give the final messages.
1: Well, it's, it's difficult with all that has been said. Uh, we went through the job of nearly 10 years of working together in this field. There have been incredible achievements thanks to the development of the technology. And I have to acknowledge also the contribution of the industries. I mean, industries are supporting a educational activities, not only at Europe PCR, in the training villages, in the hands-on, in the webinars, in the seminars that are supported by the industries in the attempt of, as you said, bringing the awareness, first thing, and teaching people how to deal with this. Because the prognosis of a uh, Mediocre, poorly performed PCI in a calcified lesion is very bad. So, this is what we have to work with. And uh, together, I guess, the industries, the scientific societies, modestly, the euro EuroPCR, pci putting together all these could make the difference in the near future. Hoping that technology will be improving farther because we have already much more than what we imagined some years ago. But it's difficult, as you said, to forecast the future. We don't know what is coming in the near future. Hopefully, new devices, for, for sure, worse patients because they will get even older and more calcified and more complex. So, we have to be prepared to afford this challenge. Thank you very much, uh, Flavio, to share these
2: uh, words of wisdom, this vision, this objective. I must say, it's been a true pleasure. I really enjoyed this chat with you. I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. And what to
0: say, let's keep working together. The future is still bright. That's it. Let's hope for that. Thank you. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. This concludes the latest episode of Chalk Talk. Again, I want to thank Dr. Flavio Ribicchini and Emmanuel Robato for their time and sharing insights on calcium management don't miss the consensus paper for a deeper dive on the topic. You can access it at the description of the podcast, as well as the full important safety information on coronary IVL, as well as both documents on the Shockwave medical website. Thanks again for listening.